it's the, it's always comes back to product and customers. That's why we started. You know, just making really, really wonderful product um, that is part of people's lives every day. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The sourdough revolution had an overwhelming impact on bakeries in Australia. Although Canberra had some great specialty bakeries, today's guest has not only transformed the sector, but taken it onto a new path in the capital as well. Jared Deaton is the founder of Three Mills Bakery in the ACT. Jared, how are you? Oh, I'm really well. Thanks for having me on. It's great to get you on the show. What an incredible food success story Three Mills Bakery is. Um, how are things going at the moment? Uh, it's, uh, it's been a pretty turbulent time in the industry. Uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you know about that. It's uh, it's pretty wild, but but also just the, I guess we've we've popped out the other side of it with a, a pretty wonderful team, um, and some really nice opportunities in front of us. So, uh, the future looks great. Give us a <laughs> sense of scale and sort of what encompasses Three Mills Bakery at the moment. Uh, today, about 140 of us on the team. Um, we're servicing uh, most of Canberra and. And kind of the immediate surrounding areas um, and through COVID we're kind of pushing into most of the east coast actually um, with, our, with our frozen croissant range and it was uh, yeah we split across two big production facilities one for sourdough and one for pastry and um, a couple of our own smaller cafes linked to those and separate as well so that's our kind of reach at the moment and the team size but yeah it, it really transformed and changed during that COVID period like many businesses had to. But the surprising thing was you just mentioned that frozen range, just just the the change and impact of that. Take take us through how that transformed your business a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I have to sort of dive into that COVID story uh, for that one. It was sort of, uh, you know, we, we were largely a wholesale um, bakery at that time and we just watched the sort of orders get cancelled daily you know I was standing in the office just one phone call after another cancellations and uh, it was it was pretty dreadful I, I think we in total lost about 78% of our business at that time and um, there's not really much you could do about it I think you know about day uh, day two or two days into it we kind of had to do a really quick rethink and uh, the one that, the one thing that stood out was that the same amount of people that still existed you know, in the market, we weren't servicing them through cafes any longer. You know, they were stuck in their homes. So, unless we came up with a solution that, you know, we could get to them really easily, uh, we were we were screwed, to be honest. So it was um, it was born out of survival, I would say, more than anything. Um, it wasn't any cutting edge innovative processes behind it. It was how the hell do we get people baking these wonderful products in their own home? So. Yeah, it was really, we were lucky. We were testing that at Christmas time. Um, a couple of our employees wanted to take some croissants with them to the coast. So they took some raw unbaked pastry down there and left it on the bench overnight and threw it in the oven in the morning and it worked. Um, so we're thinking, oh, this is a pretty cool product. I wonder how we can get into the market. And then, you know, a few months later, COVID hit. <laughs> we just thought, damn, you know, this is a great product. So, you know, day one, we sort of launched with this brunch box, you know, sourdough and bake at home croissants um, and then just shot some really cool video around people having these great experiences at home and, and brunching at home because cafes were closed. So, you know, you, you leave these pastries out on the bench and they sort of puff up overnight and you get to egg wash them and throw them in the, in the oven in the morning and the smells are incredible and, and all sorts of, you know, kids 
getting on board and there was just so much banter and, and you know, back and forth, social media, 20 hours a day, just responding to people about baking techniques in, you know, every type of oven you can imagine. It was it was a wild time. So that's how it all started. It's it's interesting that you said that you're primarily wholesale before COVID and now sort of, as you mentioned, you've got the frozen range, you've got wholesale, but you've also got a, a, a number of cafes as well. Why did you branch out in that direction? Yeah, one thing we've really enjoyed, like I've been in the hospitality for a long time and it, and I, I think part of the experience of of being in that kind of industry is the customer experience, you know, the transaction over the counter. And we get that through, you know, going to markets and, and the small shops that we've got linked to our wholesale operation. But uh, the more wholesale you do, the less connection you have with end users, you know, people enjoying the product. Um, and I sort of noticed there was just this massive void in our operation you know we make these great products but you never get to see people's faces light up um, and you never get to combine all of those elements together um, to create cool experiences whether it's you know live baking in shops or you know just even having a chat over the coffee counter and I think you know when we recognized that about a year ago we thought we probably need to do a couple more shops and and get ourselves out there and and you know engage and create some really great experiences around the baking industry so did, did that sort of move you know to be more consumer facing did that change your product range and the way that you looked at what you were doing it is now yeah it, every day where we battle with that you know what's a wholesale product and what's retail what do end users sort of really want you know when they come in the door do they want variety or do they want their favorites you know and that's it's literally a discussion that we have to have every day you know at some point i guess um, they don't really coexist very well, um, especially if we're going to have stores in locations where we've got wholesale clients. We need that that variety, um, the interest. And I think there's an expectation at a certain level in every part of the industry where you, you need to push the limits a little bit more. You need to be innovative and come up with new products. And certainly in the third food world around seasonality, um, we haven't seen a lot of that in the baking industry. And, you know, we've got a number of fine dining chefs on our on our team um, who have kind of hung up their nighttime aprons and sort of joined the days and it's been wonderful. They're injecting a lot of life into baked goods that we never would have would have seen or haven't seen in the industry. So that's all kind of a now thing that we're starting to trickle through into our shops. Well, I want to sort of go a, a bit deeper into sort of what you're doing with Three Mills uh, a little bit later on, but take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play? Yeah, uh, I'm country New South Wales in the Riverina, uh, a little place called Leeton, and um, uh, we we lived on a small farm. We're in construction mostly, but um, you know, small being kind of fifty or fifty or sixty acres, and you know, lucerne and sheep and all those sort of that kind of farm. But it was yeah, we went into cropping. We ah, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, I think. We were influenced by food early on just because we grew it. Um, we were pretty busy farm boys, essentially, just doing other things. And I don't think we valued it at the time, um, but we had this epic um, strawberry patch, this epic sort of, uh, you know, little orchard. There was, ch- you know, chook yards. We were collecting eggs every day, kind of all these little things that we had to do to run the day, day-to-day farm. And most of the stuff that we were eating, I didn't know whether we 
were buying it in or it was from the from the veggie patch but it was always from the veggie patch as it turns out um and my dad was a he's an absolute perfectionist so he would string line his uh strawberry beds uh, and make sure that all the tomato steaks were exactly the right height in the same line uh using string lines as he would to build a house it was phenomenal so like millimeter perfect he was out there shaping his strawberry beds with a bricky's trowel <laughs> to get them uh to get them looking you know spectacular before he planted them. it was just crazy so um yeah it was a cool it was a cool way to sort of you know cool upbringing cool way to grow up was were there any sort of dishes or feasts that you recall from that period of time that really sort of stand out in your memory we we were simple eaters but you know, mum always did the, you know, the inside chores and, and dad did the outside bit. Um, we cooked on the barbecue all the time and, and camp ovens heaps. You know, we sort of, there was maybe a decade there where we sort of lived on the banks of the Murrumbidgee for four months of the year. So, we were, you know, we were camping and water skiing every day and all those sorts of things. I used to go to school uh, from the river at the end of the year and at the start of the next year as well. So, we did that over Christmas. And it was, you know, we just learned to cook outside essentially. So camp ovens and barbecues were just, they featured pretty heavily. Was a career in food something that you always considered? Uh, no, I think I was one of the typical stories of falling into it and kind of falling in love with it along the way. But it was, I moved to Canberra to, to study. Uh, I did landscape architecture as a degree. And, you know, during that time, you know, I think I just worked in hospitality. I love working. It was I was working fifty hours, you know, first year of uni, and in uh, in one of the bars in Belconnen, and it, it just sort of escalated from there, and just really got into the industry and progressed through different parts of it. Popped out the other side, just having a passion for it. I think um, when I considered sitting in an office all day and and drafting or being on CAD, it was it was that, or do I open a cafe or get into my own little business? And I chose that. Take us back to that time. What was it like opening your first cafe? And, and tell us a bit about it. Uh, uh, young, naive, stupid, full of ego, all of those things. Uh, no, it it was there's good and bad bits, right? Obviously, um, I jumped in, and you need that kind of um, that naivety, I think. Otherwise, you'll talk yourself or get talked out of it. Um, so I sort of jumped in. I think I was the right age at 23 or something. Um, opened a cafe and thought I knew everything. And um, that was a massive lesson along the way. It was a great time for that first sort of 12, 18 months. It, it worked well. But I remember looking around. I built it all, you know, myself and using friends and family. Um, it was, I remember looking around and, and not having the clientele I thought I would attract. Um, and. I just sort of, it stagnated. I wasn't growing. It was doing okay. I'm sure you could turn up and, and live a great life doing it, but it wasn't really what I wanted. And I had a great relationship with the guys from Single Origin Roasters in Sydney at the time and, and just was watching, I think, um, at Lonsdale Street Roasters just started in Canberra. I was watching the kind of roasting scene begin to emerge uh, and, and decide to jump on board. So we... Um, We'd flipped it into uh, two before ten coffee roasters back then in around 2010, um, 2011, and it was, you know, 20 grand credit card, 
no no money a bunch of mates from uni like industrial designers and furniture makers yeah it was it was just a wild wild crew of people uh mishmashed i've got photos of us pulling the ceiling out i think the wires were still alive it was just it was mad um and we'd carry this espresso bar out every morning um at six in the morning carried out all the stainless that we had set it up on trestles carry the coffee machine out set it up and just leave the windows open so people could see what we were building inside um and it was such an amazing time we got such a buy-in you know people would come in and be all nosy and sort of look over look over your shoulder to see what you're working on that day and we built this this you know amazing place it turned into a a, a wonderful um cafe at the time and still is you know they've gone on to sort of do great things um uh, i had a house in Belcona at the time and sold it to pay for the roaster um we borrowed a little one kilo coffee roaster from sam burns and i from sam from barrio i think it had, had him on um, the previous episode we um we used to roast in the loading dock of that building uh in the afternoons to teach ourselves roasting um and then just we left a space in the cafe for one day when this roaster would turn up and just got on with it with an identity change and uh waited for this roaster and it and it you know turned up eventually and we got it got it in and got going and no end of problems from there on but the business transformed you know i think we doubled and tripled turnover from that point um in the quarters following so it was a it was a remarkable change and yeah i was pretty pleased with the outcome to be honest it was a great time how did it transform you and your approach to business given you know you took the dive and and changed the business model successfully business is iterative you know like you can't you can't know everything in one go you think you do even today, you know, you think you sort of got a good handle on things, but you just don't. You learn so much with every new person that comes on and every challenge. Um, I just think you, you can't do everything either. So at that time, I, I just needed a, a vehicle, a business to learn business, rostering, margins, how to, where do I order food from, what happens here, and all all the, the back end problems that you never really think about. You know. Um, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to open a cafe and make coffee and that's what I like doing. But the reality is it's 5% about that and probably 95 all the other things. So I think I learnt quickly. Uh, I'm a, very much a learner, you know, by doing. Um, and to have the opportunity to iterate like we did um, and the team around to do it, it was an amazing um, experience. And since then, I kind of have really valued the journey and not getting caught up in let's just get something out the door that's pretty good and let's you know work our ass off every day to make it better um and that's that was the first you know time i learned that i think so two before 10 has become an institution um but you moved on to create an award-winning venue in new acton um a baker tell us a little bit about that and how that started yeah so I mean, New Acton at the time was this emerging, you know, precinct. There was so much hype about it. And, you know, the guys who put that precinct together were they're very successful at doing precincts. I think there was a big movement uh, back then. It was 2013 around precinct um, curation. And they put a really good mix of people together. And it was busy. It was hotels. It was, you know, celebrities coming through there. It was pumping on the weekends. It was just, it was wild. Um and I could see that kind of unfolding at the time and thought, you know, this, this side of the city really needed a bakery. And um, I used to make bread at home and it was a, 
home baker, you know, uh, sort of more an enthusiast than, than having any skill, to be honest. But um, uh, still, I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to assemble a team. I wonder if there's anyone out there who would do this. So it got complex. You know, we built this basement bakery, an Australian spirits bar next to it that kind of looks onto the bakery. And then on the ground level is this this restaurant cafe that turned into, you know, all-day dining kind of approach. Um, we were doing events and, uh, you know, was, it, was, it was wild. Like, it, it was honestly, some days it was just a sea of people down there. You think, how the hell are we getting to service, service all these people? So, complex venue, everyone having different ideas of what they wanted, you know, someone proposing to their, you know, partner in one end of the venue and someone having a coffee after, you know, work or something picking up a loaf of bread at the other like it was just a melting pot of of uh of people it was it was wild it was a great time so um but getting to that point i think you know we developed a reputation building uh two before ten and um we proposed this idea to the guys in who were sort of curating that precinct at the time and they they liked it um so yeah we, we got up first dibs on a really great tenancy in the middle of that precinct and took the opportunity on again just ran at it like we do how did three mills come about off the back of that oh gosh i don't know if that's a glory for you <laughs> uh look the restaurant industry wasn't for me right so a couple of you have been to it i you know i you understand it's um it's a real labor of love and i think being on the floor every night and um and running table service just yeah it just wasn't for me actually i i sort of knew it early on and, and bit my teeth and, and got it done but um all the while i was probably thinking and maybe i'd made a mistake you know it was a great venue i should be grateful but at the same time i just i wasn't passionate about dinner service so this idea of of a baker it was originally supposed to be a bakery and it just morphed into a restaurant that's just how people wanted to dine down there so kind of just was along for the ride and didn't really get a say in it. Um, so there was a period there where I tried to exit that business um, and it didn't it didn't go well. Um, so about a year there where I sort of looked at exiting and um, in the end, the only option for me was to just leave, um, leave investment on the table and, and hit the road. And yeah, it was definitely a low point. Um, I sort of borrowed and, you know, gotten everything out of my old businesses and, and really put everything on the line to be involved in the project and um, to walk away, yeah, it felt uh, destroyed, you know, it was it was crazy. So it sort of, it unraveled from that point um, where the decision to leave, you know, obviously impacts you mentally and really hurts your identity and makes you question everything, you know, so I interviewed other places and thought, you know, maybe this business thing's not for me and I'm not really cut out for it and um yeah so all of those questions rattled around i you know borrowed money so it was sort of even bankruptcy discussions it was just a it was a even low point um in my journey and i think um yeah i think there was a couple of spots where i really tried to give myself a break for a few moments and look for opportunities in it um and that probably took every part of me to to do and thought maybe I could salvage something in all of this and I came back to the idea of just loving bakeries and wishing I could just 
run a simple little bakery. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the time we had this basement, 35 square meter ba- uh, bakery, all the equipment down there. And I thought, ah, it'd be great to, you know, extract that and set it up. So I went back and asked the business partners what they thought about doing, you know, with it. And they weren't very keen on it, um, as it turns out. And yeah, we, we negotiated for me to take that part, had one, one employee, um, myself and uh, myself and um yeah some old sort of hodgepodge um bakery equipment which they made me purchase for myself but um we yeah we sort of extracted all that two-week turnaround set the business up found a location out at canberra airport thankfully a guy just handed his keys back the day i inquired an amazing you know opportunity he's like oh i went out of this cafe i inspected it the next day um and then within two weeks you know all my mates and a truck where I literally carried all the stuff out of the basement up the stairs and um, on our backs. Uh, and it was, yeah, we, we set it all up and, and lost one one day of uh, of supply of bakery goods um, and just got going. And it was one of those times where, well, you know, your back's against the wall, it has to work, right? So um, you just push whatever it takes. And I think sometimes that's what's necessary to start something for that is extraordinary given where three mills is today um what, what what was the first sort of range that you created for three mills yeah well, i mean we were lucky because we had that bakery going for years in the basement so you know we didn't have to do a lot of innovation um there was a period where we we dabbled in wholesale there as well i was running orders out in my old 90s subaru out back with the seats folded down i'm scooting around town sort of doing a couple of deliveries so you know we we opened day one and had clients, you know, had a handful of clients. So it really took the pressure off, plus the, the new cafe trade where we opened up in Majura Park. So it was, um, it kind of blew all the perceptions of, you know, how to start a business. You know, we, it was two weeks. It was rough, scrappy, let's get going, super honest service, kick-ass product. And that's it. That's all we're going to do. It's just bend over backwards to to help people or get it to them. So, um those kind of values have stuck around to be honest that's how we we still talk about those days but it was uh yeah uh, we de-risked it a little bit we we took on that lease for one year and um i didn't want to back myself too much you know i was still battling mentally um at that time um questioning everything every day and i was working seven days a week for 100 days straight and then i have a day off and get back into it again and yeah it was a all or nothing kind of <laughs> push yeah so. well you're 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 building a business but you're also rebuilding yourself and your life as well after coming out yeah. of that what was there was there a real turning point for you personally and with the business yeah uh immediately i just didn't want to say it you know uh it worked from week one um it was a good there was already easy it was easier to grow it early on you know there was no one servicing canberra at a high level with you know the sort of pastries and sourdough that were sitting out the door and um there was all coming in from sydney at the time uh and the years in the industry of working alongside almost being competitor with with people when we extracted and moved out to um the the airport well no one's competitor or all of a sudden this this guy that knew the industry and had relationships and come up with products that you know i thought the cafe industry would enjoy and there was just this no barriers we weren't 
competing. It was such a lovely conversation to have and people embraced the product. So growth kind of happened um, naturally and we were super generous. Like never went anywhere empty-handed. I remember stories of I did all the deliveries and everything and, you know, for the first 18 months every day and you sort of pull up at the lights and in the van and I'd always have bread on the front on the front seat. You know, I was handing baguettes. Everyone's like, oh, three meals. I've heard about you guys. And, you know, I'd hand baguettes out through the window of the car to the other car next to me and, you know, just in the, in, in the dark, you know, in like five o'clock in the morning or something somewhere. It must have been so random for that person to get that. Um, but it really helped build the brand, I think. Well, those stories you still hear around Canberra, that generosity continues even though the business is so much bigger. Um, how do you build a team, you know, and create that atmosphere and energy to to fulfil that and keep that sort of original premise? Yeah. Uh, and when you're small, I think those sorts of ideas, I mean, you've got to, you've got to have the idea to be that, that way to start with. And I think it was probably, I my ego was squashed at the time you know i was coming back from the depths and i think you there's a real honesty to that you just don't do all the you don't have your chest out anymore and you're not trying to trying too hard to please anybody you just focus on the and the quality of the product and i think that was a real moment where that came through i was brutally honest with myself and everybody around me whether the product or the service was on point or not um and I think coming out of the industry after so many years as well and knowing the real pressures that, that, that people are facing around pricing and the quality of goods, the expectation of their clients, you know, that their clients have on them, I kind of knew that intimately. I'd felt it. And so if one of our guys stuffed the product up or, you know, delivered some pretty shitty service or whatever, I'm like, that just got my, you know, blood boiling like we would have pretty honest discussions about that like it just it's just not acceptable you know it's people's livelihoods and i really felt it and tried to make sure that everybody else felt it as well um so we would talk and i think those ideas as a small team ideas rub off on on everybody around you they can hear you on the phone they can see you solving problems they can you know it's it's easy as a bigger as the team gets bigger it is more challenging to uh to make sure that those things filter down and or filter out uh, from the center, it's, it's really challenging. The the evolution of Canberra's um, food scene has been extraordinary over the last decade, and you've been a big part of that as well. What, what do you love about what's going on in Canberra? Oh, uh, it's amazing, you know, to watch that. I think I opened in two thousand eight, the first business. So it was it was just a, a desert back then. It was and it's come so far, oh, such a long way. It's a pretty worldly bunch, though. I mean, Canberra's a, an amazing location for a food business. Um, well-travelled people, you know, well-educated, uh, and just pro-Canberra, like really even more so. And I think that's probably everywhere as well, you know, especially after COVID, everyone went hyper-local. Um, but people just bloody love food. So what an amazing location to, to be opening food businesses and, you know, celebrating that. And I think um, given that what's going on around, I know we don't produce a heap of our own food here, but there is definitely a movement um, that, you know, looking at the momentum that we've already generated in Canberra so far, I think um, combining with the, the clientele that are here, the customers, it's oh, the future's pretty spectacular. Like it's an amazing location for food and wine and beer, to be honest. 
Canberra has an incredibly mature fresh food market culture with lots of farmers markets, but also two big markets, one in the south and um, one in the north that sort of anchor the population. You've chosen to be part of the big new capital food market that's opening. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and the importance of market culture in Canberra. Yeah, it's uh, like any city, right? I think that's the beating heart of a and the city, you always sort of travel and remember going to, you know, markets internationally. You'd always sort of try and stop in and and see what the culture's all about. You know, just be a part of it. It feels like you've stepped out of the the glossy brochures of a city uh, and stepped into how people actually live um, when you explore food markets around the world. And I think um, seeing that in Canberra as well, you know, we've, we've had a, a presence at the Epic markets for years uh, on the south side as well. That was sort of only natural for us to really want to be a part of the uh, new capital food market. Uh, the conversation with those guys has been going on for two and a half years, you know. So, it, it was a, you, you sort of have to have this long game approach uh, to get in or to, to get the opportunity to be involved in a precinct like that uh, and then just be patient. Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I think it's an amazing market uh, uh, for us in the future. I think it's just a, a brilliant part of the, the landscape in Belconnen as well. I hope it will take uh, take it and sort of look at the success of that and look at the success of Fish Week and, and do more of them, you know, do, one, do another one in Canberra. So it's a, awesome. We briefly touched on the fact that you've got the Three Mills cafes now as well, but they all seem to be sort of slightly different to each other rather than just um, cookie cutter sort of cafes. Will will the approach at the Capital Food Market be quite different to some of the other cafes you have? Yeah, we're leaning into that way more. There's this really delicate balance of, um, you know, we've made this investment in these wonderful facilities in Fishwick uh, and you kind of want to use that equipment. But at the same time, the cookie cutter approach just doesn't excite any of us, um, especially in the food world. Like the minute somebody gets big and tries to do multiple stores that all look the same, behave the same and the team are using scripts, um, it's just, you know, it's like it's a dreadful existence. Uh, it really doesn't do anything to celebrate food or, or anything, you know, the customer experience. So I think for us, we'll lean into that um, harder and harder as it goes on. Each shop, each shop will be dear. And we're looking at, you know, companies like Aesop Skincare and those kind of models where they've changed the store and they're winning awards for their kind of fit outs and it all feels very different each store. I think it gives people a reason to move around uh, to each of your locations and, and look at each store independently um, and then how that translates to our team I guess is you know live baking on on site very different product offer um, potentially different hours diff- different everything you know we've got to give people a reason to to go and visit visit each of each of those stores and and really do the right thing by the local um, clientele as well not everybody wants the same things in different parts of the city you created arguably Canberra's most successful food brand at a time that was incredibly challenging personally for you. How has how has it how have you changed over the over the last few years? So, gosh, oh, some good and bad. <laughs> you know, it's um, bad side is I'll start with that bit. You, uh, the bigger you get, you end up um, becoming more disconnected. 
I think you end up fighting bigger fires and, and trying to do things at scale and really maximize your time. So I think one of the things I probably face at the moment is that we're running customer-centric business from an office. It just doesn't doesn't work, you know. So at some point, um, you need to change that. And also, um, being involved in the team, you know, with the teams as the team gets bigger, you need you need that cross pollination of ideas. Um, so that's a that's a real challenge. And I think sitting in an office all day does change can't change you. And I think you know, looking at numbers, looking at data, looking at sort of, oh, it's just again, it comes back to is this really what I got into the business to do. Um, it's very necessary. Someone has to do it. So for now, um, that's a change that I, that I have to accept and keep pushing forward. But I don't want it to be the future. I'd prefer to find myself in a different, um, you know, having a different role or at least playing, you know, an, an active role um, back at the front. So the good side, it's like the best personal development you know, growth program you could ever go on that in business, honestly. Like it is it's raw, it's honest, brutal. There's no escape. You you literally if you make a stuff up, it it's on you. You know, it it's there's no way of hiding, you know, financially, professionally, people won't stick with you, they'll leave. Customers are terrible some days, they'll just, you know, great, they'll throw things right in your face. Um you know, it's like you've been around long enough, know that if um it's 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 full on. So I think any businesses like that, um, the food industry is is very much that. So I think yeah, you, you learn to get your shit together basically. <laughs> well, it's absolutely incredible what you've created, and very much looking forward to see what you do from here. What do you love about what you do? Uh, it's the it always comes back to product and customer. It's what I spoke about at the beginning. Uh, that's why we started. So. Yeah, you know, just making really, really wonderful product um, that is part of people's lives every day. You know, it's an everyday buy, pretty much bread and, and pastries. It's certainly uh, weekly or fortnightly for a lot of people. So I think that's um, that's the driver. Uh, but you've got to combine that with the the people side. You know, working with really great people uh, here. You know, solving massive, juicy problems uh, for ourselves potentially for the industry long-term um, and customers as well, just watching people interact with a product and have a great time. That's honestly, it's probably the simplest way I can put it, the, the best part of the job. Well, Jared, you're an absolute inspiration and it's an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Uh, you're a wonderful man. Thank you for having me on. It's great to chat with you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>